0: Welcome to the next episode of the Austin Bar Association's Council of Firsts. I'm your host Amanda Ariaga, first Latina bar president. In today's episode, we're doing something a little bit different. We've partnered with the National Conference for Bar Presidents to do a series of interviews with bar leaders from around the country, here in Louisville, Kentucky. So I'm happy to introduce you to all of these leaders that you might not know because they're not from Austin. Juan Thomas is the current secretary of the National Conference of Bar Presidents. He was the 75th president of the National Bar Association past chair of the American Bar Association's Civil Rights and Social Justice Section, and is currently the third vice president of the Illinois Bar Foundation, which will make him only the second African-American lawyer to be in line to become president of that organization since its creation in 1951. He also represents the Illinois State Bar Association in the American Bar Association's House of Delegates, making him the second African-American lawyer in ISBA's 148-year history to serve in that way. Juan is of counsel to Quintaros, Prieto, Wood, and Boyer, PA, and is the founder and principal of the Thomas Law Group. He's been named as one of the top 100 trial lawyers by the National Black Lawyers, was named to the Class of 2023 Men of Excellence by the Chicago Defender, won the Katie Holmes Educational Foundation Public Service Award for Leadership and Service in the Community in 2018, and he is one of this year's American Bar Association Spirit of Excellence Award winners which celebrates the efforts and accomplishments of lawyers who work to promote a more racially and ethnically diverse legal profession. I'm honored to have with us today, Juan Thomas. Juan, thank you so much for being here today. I want to start at the beginning. Why did you want to be a lawyer?
1: When I was nine years old, my parents bought me for my birthday a uh, stack of presidential trivia cards. And so at the time, Jimmy Carter was president. And so I read about all the presidents. And I said, you know what? None of these guys look like me. So I began to read about them and wanted to figure out, well, how do they become president? And I realized most were either farmers, particularly early presidents, Mm -hmm. or they were lawyers. Some were both. And because I grew up having asthma, I knew I didn't want to be outside on a farm. (laughs) And so I went the route of becoming a lawyer. And I'm still mad today because Barack Obama beat me to it. So, But a
0: theme... A little bit of your career is you could end up being the second. That's right. And so I'm looking forward to that. We'll see. So while you were president of the National Bar Association, you created the first LGBTQ lawyer division. Why was that expansion of inclusion so important to you?
1: Well, to be honest with you, it was not on my radar initially. But during my bar leadership service, I was attending other national affinity bar meetings like HNBA, NAPABA, Nanaba, and each of them had a section or division for the LGBTQ plus um, legal community. The NBA did not. In fact, candidly, there had been resistance to that in the NBA for many years and that goes back to some of the more traditional cultural and religious values that many of our members have and still have in the NBA. But I decided after seeing what my friends were doing in the Hispanic National Bar and NAPABA and other spaces, that the NBA needs to move into the 21st century and be more inclusive. And then I was told there was a community of lawyers in the NBA who were part of the LGBTQ community, but did not come out at NBA conventions and events. And I found that fascinating that they were there, but not organized. And so I worked with a few people who were committed to helping me make this happen and we got that done literally at my last board meeting as president, we passed a resolution to create a, a division for the LGBTQ plus um, members of our profession. And now they have a, sa- a seat on our board of governors, a voting seat. And they've been very active for the last you know, five or six years now. I'm very proud of that.
0: What a wonderful legacy to know that your bar already is about inclusion right? and that you had to expand it because you realize there's now a subset of people that needed to be included very overtly.
1: Right. Right. And to this day, I am finding that while we have the division, we still have to be um, more inclusive around our, our, our environment or our culture within the association, because there are still people that don't always feel comfortable being totally open and expressive as to who they are. So we're still, working on that. But we do have the division that's been created, and like I said, they're on the Board of Governors.
0: Well, congratulations to you for that. Thank you. One of the other things that you co-founded was the National Commission for Voter Justice to address voter suppression across the country while advancing electoral reform and civic engagement. And you did that in 2017. Do you think that is even more important today?
1: Oh, it's critically important, even more today. And sadly, you know, I, I, I always say I was the first NBA president whose term was completely under the presidency of Donald Trump. I know this is not a political podcast, but it did raise some um, challenges for our association because um, the uh, previous president was a lot more friendly um, to our interest uh, than, the, than President Trump. And so when he was openly trying to, what I call, promote voter suppression under the guise of voter integrity, that was just a... a Code language for voter suppression. um, We formed this coalition with Barbara Arnwine and Jesse Jackson Sr. at Rainbow Push, and they're still working on that um, to this day to make sure that people have the right to vote and that voting um, is open and inclusive and that we have integrity in our process. And unfortunately, during that time, there was a deliberate effort trying to undermine the electoral process, and we saw that in obvious ways that still has manifest itself today. I was troubled to see recently that two thirds of Republican voters in Iowa believe that Joe Biden is not the legitimate president of the United States. That's problematic. And so I think we still have work to do in this space. I think this year's election will be quite telling in this space. And so I'm very proud of the work that we did back in 2017 that's continued to this day.
0: Why do you think this is such a controversial topic? I know one of the things we're talking about with NCBP is the rule of law, democracy, free and fair elections. Why are these phrases controversial? As lawyers, they shouldn't be.
1: Well, America's changing. And the fact that you and I are having this discussion today is a reflection of that change. Um, we have we have to decide if we're gonna be a multicultural, a multi-generational, a multi- sexual orientation, multi-religious faith, democracy. Will we be a democracy for everyone or just a select few? And there are those, candidly, who want to take us back to a time where people like you and me would not be at the table when decisions were being made. But I think those days um, are over and that that's the struggle. That's, that's, that's the core of Now, it. it comes out in many ways. An attack on DNI, attack on women's rights, an attack on you know what we teach our children in school—all of these issues. At the core of it is, will we be a democracy for everyone? And candidly, there are those who never wanted us to be at the table, and so those forces are still alive and well in this country. Hopefully, shrinking in number. Shrinking in influence, shrinking in um, uh, impact, but still significant. And so I don't take anything for granted. And sadly, the work of our generation is to not only protect the rights that our grandparents and parents fought for, but to also to continue to advance rights to be more inclusive um, in this multicultural, uh, multi-ethnic democracy. I
0: feel like the hashtag of your episode is going to be democracy for everyone. And there is nothing controversial about that. That's right. That's right. So when we met um, and got to chat in Minneapolis in September, one thing that we talked about is how it is strange that we still have legal firsts and seconds. Yeah. In our profession, in our bar associations, you are in line to be only the second African-American president of the Illinois State Bar Foundation. That's right. So seeing what you've seen, do you think the legal community is on the right track to being more diverse, equitable, and inclusive?
1: We're at a crossroads. I think in light of last year's Supreme Court decision that struck down affirmative action, um, law firms, law schools, um, our profession generally, is really um, concerned. And a lot of people have kind of taken a, let's, let's step back and, and, and reassess this approach. And so we have to, those of us who are committed to this work, those of us who are committed to DEI, have to move the ball forward and not allow what I call a false narrative, this idea of a um, colorblind society, which I think is just code for white supremacy um, being maintained and manifested, um, have to push inclusion and diversity and equity and belonging. And so let me name the first president of the Illinois Bar Foundation, the Honorable Judge Vincent Cornelius, out of Joliet, Illinois, he's a dear friend of mine, and he's been a mentor to me. And he is living the life that I hope to also want to, you know, impart to your listeners, which is, if you're the first, don't be the last. And so he's been a mentor to me to make sure that he was the first, but now that I'm the third vice president of the foundation, he won't be the last. And so my job will be to go find a third. We've never had an African American woman as president of the foundation. That needs to change. You know, so I've got work to do in that regard. So I think, particularly in the bar world, there are still many first. Judge Cornelius is also the first and only African American president of the Illinois State Bar Association. Only one. And this, this is, you know, Illinois, Chicago. You'd think in the Chicago, we'd have a lot more. Now, we have a Metro Bar, the Chicago Bar. Association, they've had you know many um, African American presidents and many women have been president of the the metro bar, but the state bar, Vince is the only black man to ever ever be president. We're about to have our first woman of color. Her name is Sunny Williams. She becomes president this June. So we have work to do in my state, and I've learned through NCBP, a lot of states are still having these first. Florida just elected its first black woman to be the Florida State Bar President in 2023. So we have a long way to go. And for those who are have D, E, and I fatigue, I'm sorry, with all due respect, get over it. We have a long way to go.
0: Well, thank you for all you're doing and for knowing that to be the second, you must get the third. That's right. Because this is sort of a never-ending <laughs> chain of, there are wonderful people who could be leaders. We just need to put them in the right place to be identified and noticed.
1: Open the door for them and let their talents speak for themselves.
0: Speaking of leaders, what does NCBP mean to you? Wow.
1: NCBP for me is what I call iron sharpening iron. Um, It is like-minded leaders coming together to grow and improve Um, And continue what a mentor said to me many years ago, uh, being a lifelong learner. I'm always looking for new lessons, new insights, new perspectives on how to not only be a better leader, but to be a better lawyer, be a better person, be a better husband, a better brother, a better uncle, um, a better son. So I like being around people that share those, those, those common values. We may not always agree on policy or even perspective or approach. But I think uh, this organization helps me connect with people who have what I call high ideals and want to grow and do better. And so I love the family, I love the community, and I'm honored to be a part of it.
0: You know, it was interesting when I came to my first meeting in September, it was almost like walking into an AP class mm. where it's the leaders of leaders. Yes. And you might feel like weirdo sometime that you want to make change and you have big ideas right. and you have new initiative and then you walk into this AP class and everyone is like
1: you. Right.
0: And it's so fun to know that there's this peer model that right. exists that we can learn from.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: What advice do you have for lawyers who'd like to follow in your footsteps? <laughs>
1: Think, think twice. No, <laughs> no seriously. Um, I think if you want to be a bar leader or a leader in our profession more, more generally, I think it's important to focus on relationships. Um, I have discovered, I tell this, when I was NBA president, I um, went to many law schools around the country talking to the, to the BALSA chapters. In Illinois, we have nine law schools, and I spoke at eight of them during my presidency. And I focused my remarks always on what I call the lie. And here's the lie that we are told in the black community, and I think is also true in the Latino community, that if you work hard, get a good education, stay out of trouble, and go to good schools, you'll be successful. Well, that's a lie. Here's why that's a lie. It's only half true. There's another part of that. It's a lie by omission. And the other part is is the importance of relationships. Developing genuine relationships that will open up doors that will give you opportunities and bring you into the table. And that is not always taught to people in our communities. We're taught to just focus on ourselves and what I call rugged individualism. No. Build relationships. Our um, white allies, that's what they do. And they support each other and open up doors for each other. When I was a young lawyer, I'll never forget this. one of my best friends in law school was a, was a Jewish um, young man, and I went to him because I had my own practice and I wanted to see if he'd let me be his lawyer and His instinctive response was, "Oh, well you're a great guy, I love you, but you know our family business, we've always done business with my dad's buddy, who we went to I think they went to high school together, and they were all Jewish, and he was telling me how candidly they support and do business with each other not to offend anyone else but they support their own first we're not taught that we're taught that's a problem it's problematic you know we're uh, reverse racism no you support those who come from your community cuz that's how you grow together and so i would say to anyone that wants to do this work is to focus on not only doing well being a competent lawyer don't get in trouble, all that's true, but develop and build and nurture relationships. And the way you nurture a relationship is when you reach out to someone when you don't want anything from them. Too often, there are people that we only hear from when you want something or you need something. But hey, when, you're in, when, I, when I'm in Austin, I should give you a call just to get together and have dinner, have, have lunch. I don't want anything. I'm not looking for business. I'm in your town. Reach out. Send a note. Hey, I saw you were, You won this award. Congratulations. Connect with people on a human level. I think we, if we do more of that, you will find that people will invite you in, open up doors for you. And I'll be honest, a lot of my success in the bar world has become, is, is because of that, because of relationships. Someone thought of Juan Thomas. He'd be good for this. Let's call him, because I've learned this. I'll close with this point. If you're the best, if you're the top lawyer in town, but no one likes you, you know what people are going to do? They're going to call the second best lawyer in town, because you and I know million, you know, hundreds of lawyers. You don't have to refer me. You can refer somebody else. It's based upon our relationship, and so I think that's critically important for young lawyers to understand is to build those and nurture those relationships. And candidly, you don't do it always on a phone. We, we've gotten used to these devices. Sometimes we need to get together, have a cup of coffee or whatever your favorite you know, drink is, um, and get to know each other.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Our audience is going to love all your words of wisdom. And I'm looking forward to you coming to Austin so we can have that dinner.
1: I look forward to it.
0: Thank you so much. Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me.